0: on the record welcome to wage cooking
1: with JMO. all right guys welcome to yet another episode of uh wage cooking with jamo uh today we got my co-host andreas um and we have a guest Ansem. some how you doing
0: it's good guys i'm doing good I cannot complain
1: uh, before we get started, uh, you want to give us a little bit about your background, like when, how you got into crypto, and uh, I guess what you're doing these days.
0: Yeah. Um, so I originally got into crypto, kind of my like junior year, senior year of uh, college. I went to Georgia Tech, was studying comp sci there. Um, I was minors was in business. PBS um, my business Tech, minor. I Heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Georgia Tech. Um. But yeah for my my minor in business i had a class like an emerging technologies class um and the professor was a, a big bitcoin guy so that's when i got my first intro to it that was like 2016. um and me a ton of my boys like we never bought any then but we knew what it was um so i was like kind of my my intro and then when i graduated in 2017 um i was working as a software engineer and I had a mentor at my job who was also like super deep in the crypto. I so was like, all right, I've heard of this already. I know like what what the value prop is and why it's important generally. Let me look more into this. Um, and yeah, that's when I started trading crypto. So I was like working as a software engineer and then trading crypto on the side. And that was like 2017. So you guys know like Bittrex, BitMEX, mm-hmm. like, all those, like all those sites um, was active on there. And then, yeah, made some money, lost some money. 2018, 2019 was kind of active. Late 2019, 2020, early 2020, actually wasn't really that active in crypto. Um, And then what was like during COVID, I was playing poker, online poker. So active on crypto Twitter. And like a lot of the crypto people uh, were like who I was playing poker with. So then after DeFi summer is like when I got more active in the trading again. um, And I was telling, like, I got a lot of people who were never in crypto, into crypto during that summer. Everybody was home and like looking for shit to do. So people started trading on Uniswap um, and shitcoins and all that, all that. But none of the people whose intro to crypto was purely Uniswap and like DeFi knew about Bitcoin. So when I was Mm. talking about Bitcoin being like 9, 10K, I'm like, dude, if this is another cycle, I know how. I just saw how the last cycle worked. I've been following Kobe and all of them, like talk about how, how cycles work, how the rotations work. Um, there's no way Bitcoin doesn't at least go back to all time high from like nine, 10K. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was probably like September or whatever of like 2020. Um, so I was like my first like big trade, basically of that cycle, Bitcoin. Um, and then did pretty well with DeFi stuff, um, like Rune, Aave, Uni, is um, probably my biggest, play um and yeah just traded that entire like 2020 2021 cycle um went full-time crypto like mid 2021 um and yeah i've been trading it basically since then i did a stint at vc for a little bit like october 22 to like mid 20 no yeah it's like mid 2023 mm-hmm. um and yeah trading
1: yeah so um your your comp side background uh i guess you got into trading pretty early um how did you learn to trade i, I don't think like the comp background really helps in trading i guess some of the skills sort of translate but uh i find out that a lot of people in crypto that get into trading don't really have like like a financial background or a background that um allows them to uh learn trading very well but they still see like a decent amount of success so i guess talk a little bit about how you got in trading how you learned and how you I guess got good or at least profitable enough to do it full time.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, really a lot of trial and error. I think the the book that I read on trading, the main one was um technical analysis of financial markets by John Murphy. Yeah. That was like my my baseline knowledge. But honestly, I learned probably ninety percent about like what I know on crypto trading from crypto Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh like people like Kobe, like Trader Main, Loom Dart, um It's interesting with crypto. It's like knowing how these markets work is a lot more helpful than having a pure traditional finance background, in my opinion. That's what I've seen. Like a lot of the best traders in crypto, they weren't like whatever bank um, guys, like that pure, that pure background. Um, Just like understanding how narratives work, like how momentum shifts, like how the hive mind works in crypto and like Mm -hmm. what um people are going to be paying attention to is super super helpful um and kobe wrote a pretty good blog post on like the last cycle We kind of was like the game of attention um and it's something that exists in all markets but in crypto because of how easily you can move capital around like between different chains like between different alts um mm-hmm. it just like that is ramped up super super quickly um See, I, I, I don't really have a exact way for how I did it. A lot of trial and error, losing money, making money, yeah, um, and figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Um, yeah, yeah. So for me personally, um, I,
1: I have a poker background as well. Um, uh, I was a professional poker player for probably like a little over ten years. Um, and, and and I feel like uh, there is a lot of poker players that transition into crypto, especially crypto trading, just because the I feel like the skill set is sort of similar in a way like it's a lot about like analytical thinking and and more so emotional control um i i I feel like emotional control is one of the big things that like a lot of the 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 current cycles new crypto traders don't have they they trade kind of emotionally that they chase losses they um they, they do all sorts of things when they're winning big or, or or losing big that they shouldn't do. Whereas, if you're like on your a game and you're trading well, um, regardless of the results, if, if your thesis and theory is in, still intact, you, you you sort of need to have that emotional control in in order to uh in order to see long term profits.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I would say the psychological aspect of trading is by far the most important part especially in crypto because of how the speculative fervor works mm-hmm. um, these parabolas exist in all markets but like retail's activity in crypto because it's so small still um, makes them like a lot more apparent uh, and yeah it's definitely how you end up keeping your money is being able to control your emotions. Yeah,
1: it's interesting that your your friends you got in during DeFi summer that they basically had no um, exposure to Bitcoin. Like uh, in the previous cycles, we basically people get in through Bitcoin and, and then that they learn about alts, that they they learn about these markets and stuff like that. But like um, the 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 fact that like Ethereum took off the last cycle, there was like DeFi summer. There's stuff like Uniswap, Aave, um, and then even after that, there was. Um, alternate layer ones like AVAX, Solana that the, there's obviously now like a million layer twos built built on ethereum but the, there's a whole generation of people that have basically not really touched Bitcoin just because Bitcoin's sort of a boring Boomer coin that there the, the, there isn't that much you can really do with Bitcoin besides you know hold it yeah. and may, maybe trade it a little bit on centralized exchanges um yeah. uh, other than that like the the the, the only uh a lot of people I know, at least like that, they got in the last cycle. The only Bitcoin they have is just like the wrapped version of Bitcoin, where they're using it on like another chain. They're they're not even using it on like the the, the main Bitcoin chain. So uh, it's interesting how like the the cycles progress. Um, uh, I'm curious what what happens like the the, the next cycle. Um, I assume. The, the majority of the action will be on ethereum or at least ethereum and then like um some orthogonal layer ones uh but who knows there might be a new chain or like a, a new paradigm which people are, are trading in the future
2: do you um yeah. do you also do you also find that the people who joined during DeFi summer are um i call them like the, the multi-chain natives like they always had many chains, but if you, if you tell a bit, like a Bitcoin native person about that, they, they think you're crazy. Even just buying something else is difficult.
0: Yeah. The, the new cohort of guys are, are, are sick. Like, I think the, like the last cycle guys who did really well and are like, we're bridging to every chain first. They knew how all the yield farms worked. Like they knew when to get out or learn how to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're really early trying all these new things and they outperformed a ton of the older crypto guys who were like had a ton of Bitcoin but didn't want to test anything are like, we're not playing around with Uniswap. We're not gonna try out Ave. Like we're not gonna bridge to these other chains. Um, like their risk tolerance was just much lower than all these newer guys are like. Well, we're we're playing with like 1K, 5K, whatever <laughs> whatever we have. We're trying to flip that, spin that up 100x. Um, but they learned a ton. I think those guys are gonna be. Um, really important for the future of crypto because they're going to be the ones trying out all these new applications. Mm -hmm. And you need those people who are willing to put their capital in these risky situations early before it's like, okay, this makes sense for everybody else. Because if you you had DeFi Summer, the reason DeFi Summer popped off is because you had these crypto natives who are willing to put their ETH and everything else and test out all these protocols. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree. Like the future, you're going to see more differentiation in crypto, and I think Avi Feldman has, has talked about it a good bit, it's like there's alpha now in that not all altcoins move the same way at the same time, how they used to in, in previous cycles. And I wasn't around in 2013, 2014, um, but I've heard people say it was like, yeah, all just went together um, because it really was hard to differentiate on the fundamentals between um, all these different coins and all these different layers. Um, but now I think there's, really going to be a way where investors and traders in crypto can take advantage of that if they're willing to put in the effort um, and really do the research on what makes these chains different from each other and which protocols on top of these chains um, are going to win out like longer term, um, especially because crypto is still so small.
1: I, I sort of had the same experience during DeFi summer. I was trying to get uh, quite a few of my old, uh, basically people with within crypto, that that I knew from maybe like 2013 to 2016 into yield farming explaining to them that like um I want to say this is like the, the end of 2019 beginning of 2020 maybe middle of 2020 is somewhere around there when like um I, I guess like the, the the first uh big yield yield farm was uh EM's on on, uh ethereum yep and yeah. then it, it sort it sort of evolved from there um and then there was like uniswap and then fork into sushi swap and stuff like that and it, it sort of took off and then the, the there's a whole lot going on on binance smart chain uh it, it basically um the, the the model I guess was you provide liquidity and then you you generate some sort of governance emissions token and like the strategy from day one was obvious to me is like we got to dump this token as fast as possible. Um, people are putting this token in in these like crazy pool twos where they're getting like a thousand percent APY, but yeah. they're but they're losing like like fifty percent a day. So like none of this shit yeah, is yeah. sustainable. Um, yeah. but yeah, so, this is, so my experience with, with uh, attempting to to get these old uh the, these old, uh, previous cycle the Bitcoiners into yield farming was that they thought it was just like too complicated. They didn't understand the technology, even though it's like, uh, at least I think it's pretty simple. I mean, like if you know how to use um, MetaMask or any wallet, you know, you you just got to figure out how to I- interact with like the user interface. You got to understand the the concept of liquidity providing. Um, but mm-hmm. to them, they, they they basically refused for like. I want to say like like a year and to a year and a half until it like it got more mainstream, and then they got in. But like the, the the yields at that point were you know fractions of of what they were during the uh, during during DeFi summer. And then like well right. I look back and I always talk to them about it, and they're saying yeah like uh, I'm I'm in this yield farm that's like generating like eight eight percent ten percent twelve percent, and I was explaining to them that like you know if you just did this six months ago, you're getting like one hundred fifty percent. If you can compound it daily, you could be like, if you put in a million dollars, you could be making like twenty thousand dollars a day in, in some of these farms. Um, and yeah. they, uh, I, I guess, there was a moment of regret in all of them. But yeah, it's interesting that um, every cycle, there, there, I feel like there needs to be some sort of catalyst in order to. Bring the masses to, and um, it, it's it's interesting what the catalyst is and how it gets mainstream. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Solana uh, because you, you've been pretty uh, vocal about being bullish on Solana, and I'm I, I guess I'm neutral to slightly bullish at the moment. Like I, I was one of the the biggest proponents of Solana during the the whole FTX era. Um, I, I thought I thought the the technology was fantastic. The chain functioned very well. Um, you can bridge back and forth pretty easily. Um, the, the the only downside I felt was that it wasn't EVM compatible. Although I, I think they have uh, they have some sort of EVM compatibility now, but um, I, I'm, not, I'm not completely sure. So like the, the barrier to entry was a little bit high for people that you know it didn't want to install like uh it wanted to use metamask and wanted to use evm and didn't want to install like phantom or whatever wallet they wanted to use so um yeah just i guess to talk a little bit of like your takes on the the current solana ecosystem and why you're bullish on it
0: yeah i've been a i've been a solana uh proponent i guess for a while i guess solana for me like that was my like a lot of people made their money off eth and for me, that was Solana. So I've always been like a bit biased um, towards them. Um, like I bought it, whatever, like a dollar, like close to um last cycle. Um, and the whole way up, people are like shitting on it, like saying, like, oh, it's like, it's worthless, like blah, blah, blah. Um, And it just traded really well. But I think if you look back and compare Solana, how it was at its peak to how it is now, the network is actually a lot more performant now than it was back then so it's interesting to see how people do the comparisons um like today versus then like when solana was at its peak i think when metaplex had just came out and they were figuring out all the nft standards um one of solana's biggest advantages was it's like super cheap super fast so for whenever they would do these big nft minutes they would get spammed super super hard by everybody yeah um, by all these bots, who like, because they know it's like guaranteed profit if I can get in first, beat everybody else out. And there's no really cost at the same thing. We try to do the same thing on Ethereum. You're still paying, uh, like you pay up a ton essentially to be first. Yeah. Um, but it would break the chain because they didn't really have good um, flow control of how to prevent spam with how the network was designed back then. And they've made um, a few like really big technical changes in the past year and a half or so that have been able to get the change to a point where they haven't had any downtime at all in the past six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when the mad lads meant um, happened, they didn't have any issues with downtime. So like the changes, I think, I wanna say it was from um, the validators were using, I think UDP um, as like their mechanism for doing data propagation. And now they're using something called QUIC, which is a protocol built by Google, mm-hmm. um, essentially allows them to process spam a lot faster or like a lot more efficiently. Um, and then on top of that, they also implemented um, fee markets, um, isolated fee markets. So like as some isolated application on Solana gets spammed, like you're going to have to pay more fees to get your um, transaction through, which as before, we, like there was just basically no fees at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing on Solana is like since they have parallel transaction processing, when fees spike on Ethereum, fees spike across the entire chain. When fees spike on one application on Solana, they don't spike in other areas of the global state, which is huge for being performant as a chain and allowing these like consumer applications to scale globally. Because if you have one application that's getting hammered, but that doesn't affect the rest of your blockchain, you can do so much more um, with applications built on top. And I don't think we've really seen this in practice yet, just because... Least blockchains are not getting used by that many people, but if you think like right now we probably only have I want to say I don't I don't know if this number is going to be active, like twenty thousand daily actives in DeFi that are using DeFi every day, um like being active in trading whatever using these apps these lending borrowing protocols. But if you think about crypto on a global scale, if you think the crypto is going to be used by a million plus people, um it's not going to work if you can only do ten to fifteen transactions per second. Um, so Mm -hmm. in my head, it's like something like Solana, what has this underlying technical architecture already, once crypto does have these big applications where you're going to need a ton more consumers than are currently using these systems. Now it makes the most sense to do that Mm -hmm. on Solana. So that's like why I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on them generally. And then also, if you just look at the teams, um, that have like worked and built and like are active on Solana now versus back then, it's a huge, huge difference. Back then we had like I don't know, Maps, like Oxy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that was. Like, there's another one that was really bad. But a ton of these tokens that just had super high FDVs. Yeah. Team were really, they cashed out as soon as they like got their raises essentially and just were not focused on building um, these apps. But now you have teams like Drift, like Gito, like MarginFi, um, all these really strong protocols with strong founders that don't really care about SBF and that connection to him, but are focused more on the tech side and building for the long term. So I think it's a, it's an interesting spot. It's like they have a ton of overhang, like on the supply side, and also just like public perception. But if you look at the upgrades that they've made and the people mm-hmm. focus on the ecosystem, um, it's grown a ton in the past like couple years.
1: Yeah, during the um, during the spam on Solana, I always get annoyed when people use that to to FUD the chain because it, it wasn't really like a. a... I mean, it was a technical issue, but it it, it wasn't like um, an issue that couldn't be solved very easily. Like right. the, the, the the only the only reason it occurred was because there are basically no fees on Solana, so you can send
2: yeah.
1: uh, millions and millions of transactions for free. Which obviously, like it, it, this would happen with, with with any chain that there there would there be some data capacity limit, and then like the the, the chain breaks. But it, it it's not like they didn't understand that, and it, it, I mean a simple fix would be to slightly raise the fees or establish a right. fee market which is like super easy for, for them to do so like yeah the, it it actually like really annoys me when when so a lot of solana <laughs> went down during like one of these nft mints, and then like you, you see all the the ethereum crowd basically talking on twitter about how how solana is down again and it's it's a complete piece of shit because like it it can't handle a mint whereas like if if this existed on ethereum like the exact same thing would happen i mean i mean in theory the exact same thing does happen at a much smaller yeah. scale right because like if yeah if the, the uh, a big issue with ethereum is that it's a shared state machine as they call it meaning like if activity happens when, on one part of the blockchain if, if there's a huge nft mint where like like millions of people are attempting to mint the, the same nft like literally every single dapp on ethereum is would be unusable for like 99% of the population because the 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 fee market would be uh, up like a thousand percent people would be paying like Ten to hundred dollars per transaction, and that literally prices out almost everyone that uses uh, Ethereum. Uh, yeah, yeah, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about uh, so, uh, about Solana specifically. Um, the 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 issues it had um, post FTX. So, like w- one of the reasons I was a little bit bearish on Solana as a whole is because. Um, the at least in my eyes that the bull case for solana at the time was that if if ftx took over and ftx was the the global number one you know stop for crypto and mm-hmm. th- they decided that this, this is our chain then obviously just solana would have a huge future but then you, you know like uh ftx goes down but not not only does ftx goes down um a lot of the the major dapps on solana were funded by ftx and a lot of them like you talked about a few of them like oxy maps uh serum stuff like that that they yeah. were they were considered sam coins where they um yeah. they, they were invested by ftx that they had like a, a high a fully di- diluted valuation a lot of the tokens were locked um and it was questionable whether those projects would continue or would would, would just give up um you, you have any thoughts on that like uh, is is there still baggage um within Solana from the whole FTX fallout uh or do you do you think that they've like turned a new leaf and that they're just sort of doing their own thing right now
0: um I think there's definitely still baggage from a public perception point of view so every there's like for people who haven't done their research on Solana and looked into what's going on behind the scenes, they just think in their head, oh, SBF is a scammer, SBF is FTX, FTX was Solana. And like that connection is super, super easy to make for the average person who hasn't done their research on Solana. So I do think that perception is something that still exists, um, and they're definitely going to have to work to fix it pretty actively. Um, but I would say, if you talk to the teams and the founders who are building on Solana, Even back then, before FTX happened, I was in Lisbon for Breakpoint last year and it literally was the week before FTX blew up. Um, And I was there talking to founders, like talking to builders in the ecosystem and SBF was not there at all. Nobody even mentioned his name in any of like the presentations or anything. And nobody was really talking about him. Um, Even a little bit, I was surprised. I thought it would be like slightly different, but everybody was excited about what, was going on in the ecosystem and how they were working towards moving forward. Um, like, cause they were excited about everything that they'd implemented over the past year, like starting to get traction in Solana DeFi, uh, like you get like have the NFT standards, NFT compression, I mean, I'm talking to the MetaPlace guys they are working on that. Um, like the partnership with Google Cloud was also going on around the same time. Um, so just like a ton of like solid, Th- like concrete things that you could point to to see the ecosystem growing and then FTX happened and it went from literally 38 dollars to like eight in like mm-hmm. three days or whatever it was um and it literally happened on the plane back from lisbon <laughs> to the <laughs> states like we were all on the plane and i like get a i look get a text on my phone i'm like half sleep i get a text and somebody's like dude check twitter i'm like I- i'm trying to check twitter i don't even have like wi-fi connections not working like I'll check it when I land and somebody gets up and is like yelling at me like, yo, dude, like, <laughs> 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 like somebody. And I remember somebody saying CZ just bought FTX." I am like, what are you guys talking about? I've literally been on the plane for six hours. There's no way it's happened in the time that we took off <laughs> to being in the air. We, um, yeah, we landed and I like reading through all this stuff that happened. We're like, dude, what? Like what is going on? Um, but yeah, so I think that you definitely have the public side of it that you have to fix, but there's alpha in knowing, like talking to founders in the Solana ecosystem, if you can, mm-hmm. and like talking to people who are active in the community, because they were not even concerned with dude like months before shit happened. So that's how I look at it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting there
1: I feel like there are some projects or I guess there are quite a few projects that were only on Solana because they were funded by Sam or FTX, yep. but then you still have a group of projects that basically have no affiliation with uh Sam or FTX and they mm-hmm. basically are are using Solana because it has better infrastructure for what they're doing than Ethereum or, you know, the other layer one's like I I remember I was talking to um uh gunny from um hero network and Mm -hmm. he he, i don't think uh, hero network uh took any investment from fbx uh but they were like one of the the first um they were were one of the first companies that started building like uh on solana and one of the things he was saying was like we only use solana because like it's a superior infrastructure for what we want to do and what we want to build in the future
0: yeah yeah, there's a ton of teams like that, um, and I think what people don't realize is it takes a while for the developer ecosystem to grow in these like new layer ones. Like that takes a t- that takes time to do building out all the dev tooling, like getting people who aren't in crypto to be excited about crypto. Like that's a whole process that takes years to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that people miss when they compare Solana to these other L1s in their current form is that Solana has been through a ton of that growth um, for like years now. So even if you have a new chain that comes and maybe as technically like performant or able to do the same amount of throughput, um, they don't have as much mind share, developer mind share that I think that's Solana does currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's momentum that builds extremely quickly. Um, if you can tap into those communities, because if you type, there's a ton of Rust devs outside of crypto, mm-hmm. um don't have any idea about crypto, but if you can convert them to be like, oh, well, maybe we should build something on Solana because it's it's cool to do. Um, that's like an interesting, that's like a more interesting piece for me, is like the non-crypto people that aren't yeah. in crypto right now. Not like the hive mind that we have on crypto Twitter where it's like uh-huh. ETH versus Solana versus whatever. It's like yeah. the people who want to build these globally like distributed applications and how what is the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, it, it gets a bit repetitive when um like you just have like these maximalists, like whatever chain that they're they're stuck to, just arguing with each other rather than, yeah. you know, sort of thinking outside the box. Um, I think one of the biggest crit- criticisms of Solana from at least the Ethereum crowd is that because like the fees are low to basically non-existent, it, it mm. doesn't drive value back to the token itself. Like if you bring up like the fee structure of Ethereum, uh, obviously um, it, it's inferior for the end user, right? You have, you have to pay more per transaction. It's like way more expensive to use Ethereum. But in, in theory, it's better for the token holders because like every, every Ethereum dude will tell you like ETH is deflationary because like the, the, we're generating so, so many fees where, you, you know, like the, the the chain is is actually generating quite a bit of money for, for the holders, whereas Solana... It's essentially free still to, I mean, not really free, but it's like in comparison to most other chains, it's essentially free to do whatever you want on the chain, um, which is good for the user, obviously. But um, it's not great for if, if you're like a Solana holder where pe- people mm-hmm. aren't incentivized to buy the token in order to to use it for something rather than just value speculation. So uh, do you have any thoughts on that Um, in, in terms of like the market cap or the, the valuation of Solana going forward?
0: Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on it. Um my initial the way I think about current set of fees on Ethereum, I think it's really net like negative to like project that out as revenue because it's purely from taxing people using the network at extremely extremely high levels. Like I don't think it's sustainable to have that as revenue going forward, because the only reason it works in its current state, most of it is from just trading on Uniswap, all these meme coins that pop up and people are trading. But the only people willing to pay these fees are like mid six, like seven figure dudes who are just trading on Ethereum. They don't really care about paying these high fees because they're, they're going to make more profit off whatever play they think. Um, yeah, like the, 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 fee, token the, the fees are
1: small compared to like the, the
0: size that they're trading. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, it's, it's a very small fee for them compared to their portfolio size. But if you take that to the average person, nobody is paying a hundred dollars per transaction ever, like on a consistent basis, the average person is just not doing that. So from my first point of view, it doesn't really make sense. Doesn't scale long-term. But then I would say, if you look at Solana specifically, the fee issue is something that's a lot more fixable than fixing the network. So if you have a scalable network, that's able to operate and do a ton more throughput at low fees. If you ever really ran into a situation where the validators were like, we can't run the network without getting paid this much, you can raise the base fee or raise it for all of the participants on the network. That's something that you can implement and fix. You can't fix the network, not scaling. Um, That's like a, a huge thing for me. And then the second part I would say is like, it is a lot more sustainable for businesses to build on top of Solana Whereas these same businesses were trying to build on Ethereum, they literally cannot because of that same fees that are getting purported, like purported as revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you can build sustainable businesses that have like could have a lot higher uh, profit margins or like can make a lot more profit. Um, in that way, I think that's a lot more important for long-term crypto is like having these businesses. And then you can figure out a way to distribute it back to the network in, in some form. Like mm-hmm. the same way that people pay AWS, um, their fees are there. Like it's, it makes sense for them to pay those fees to AWS because their businesses are profitable in other ways. You can have that where like these businesses can make whatever revenues and then pay some of that back to validators or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like long-term it makes more sense to have that be the, the thesis.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's consensus, even with the the pro Ethereum crowd that Ethereum, at least uh, the layer one, isn't going to scale or d- doesn't have the capability to scale. Um, right. But then I think they would tell you that the the long term scaling would be, you know, we'll just build a bunch of layer twos, and we'll just use Ethereum layer one as like a settlement and security layer, and then like possibly b- build more layers on the layer twos. Um, yeah. So to just like moving on to the future of Ethereum, you think that's a reasonable uh, way to scale the chain, or do they need to, you know, figure out something else?
0: No, I think I think it's gonna work. I think it's a reasonable like solution um for how Ethereum is built. Like I think the L2 thesis is going to work out. Um, They're going to have to do a lot of iterating on the execution side, the specifically for the L2s. Like L2s are going to have to be as performant as whatever the best L1, like Solana, whatever the best like VM is, L2s are going to have to implement that. I definitely agree that's going to have to be in state for them. Um, But I think in short term it's contradictory to have the same argument that Ethereum is the best chain because it's the most profitable and it's making like the most revenue from these high fees. And then also being like, we're going to build all these L2s on top of Ethereum, which are going to lower the fees on the base layer. Like, mm-hmm. you can't do both those things at the same time. You're going to need a ton more activity on these L2s to match the fees that are currently being paid on ETH L1. So, when I see those, that argument held in tandem, I, I don't think it really makes sense. I just think. Like in the short term, you're going to have fees go down, activity on L2s go up, Ethereum is going to be less profitable. So is that bearish for ETH, bullish L2s? Or is that like, what's your argument there? I yeah, think is what people haven't really thought through.
1: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer just because like, the I, I feel like everyone has their um, own way, way to look at things. So like, uh, mm-hmm. if you own Ethereum, like you want, like millions of people to be paying these ins- insanely high fees. Like if, <laughs> right. if you're an Ethereum bag holder and you, yeah. you don't yeah. actually use the chain per se, Uniswap or anything like that, you, exactly. you don't want any, you don't want any layer twos. You, you just want like everyone to use Ethereum well, well, layer one, but then like if, if you want Ethereum to grow and scale and, for more people to to use it regardless of of the, the fee structure you de- you definitely want like a robust uh a robust ecosystem of, of layer 2s but then like the the, the layer 2s re- reduce fees and then like if you're an ethereum holder that's not good for you because like the the value of ethereum goes down as fees go down so it's yeah it's pretty interesting um what the future holds for ethereum and then like uh, other layer 1s uh like solana
0: yeah, it's it's going to be fun, man. I think crypto's in a really cool spot right now where everybody's kind of arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. But it's people are arguing with each other so like fervently because they know whoever wins out, it's like the prize for winning out is huge. Yeah. Like whoever is successful. Yeah. Um uh, I also
1: find it kind of interesting that that people have already taken like basically they, they they've taken sides like uh, I, I feel like I'm yeah. in a state where um, I, I'm not completely sure who wins out long term like I, I I like some aspects of a lot of chains I also dislike some aspects of a lot of chains but it's, yeah, it's-, it's definitely not clear to me that like th- there's going to be uh, a winner and we already know the winner in the next like 5 10 20 years so but uh, I I feel like if you ever go on crypto Twitter. Everyone speaks with like such conviction about the future yeah. where in, in reality, like, I, I doubt they have any clue what's going to happen.
0: I definitely agree, dude. Yeah, it's crypto. Twitter is, is weird in a way. I think it's because of bag bias. Honestly, like people have a ton of money in these networks and are up mm-hmm. a ton of money from being early to these networks. So it's kind of like a cult like behavior. Um which is, I mean, it's good. Like, it's it's honestly part of the reason crypto has survived so long. Like, the cult life behavior of these Bitcoin maxis is why the bottom is always in, like, during these bear markets. Cause these guys, they don't care. They're not selling when stuff is down like 70, 80%. They don't really care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree. I think I try to remain objective in how I look at everything in crypto. Cause um, if you aren't objective, you're going to miss a ton of opportunities on like being early to new things and trying things out. Um, Solana is interesting for me because I just feel like they don't get as much of like the bull support on crypto Twitter. Like it's yeah. a ton of overload on the ETH guys. Um, and I feel like I have like a decent amount, like decently big platform now. Where, like let me ba- try and balance things out like way I can. Um, be yeah, I try to be objective.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so next I wanted to talk a little bit about Tech because you've been pretty active um, in the tech streets. Um, I, I've talked yeah. with Andreas a little bit about this. He he got in, in front tech a little bit, but I, I've i had a more bearish uh, take on front tech compared to <laughs> like the average crypto Twitter person um, yeah, to, to, to me, like the, the, the idea is solid, but um, the, the, there are people that are basically thinking that it's going to be, you know, a, a top five market cap type uh project like the the market cap is going to be somewhere between like 10 20 billion dollars which i i find, find kind of absurd um i i feel like a lot of these projects pop up and they're sort of easily like copy pasted or, or vampire attacked and like the the you know like i guess there's advantage to being the first mover um, but yeah. historically speaking if, if you look at like like the first decks or, or the first um like borrow lend platform it's it's not necessarily the the biggest one today just because it was it was the first one to market and the, mm-hmm. I feel like there is quite a bit of room um for competition just because of like how the um how the the fee market works there like the the, the creator fees and, and the platform fees um and, and it seems like a, a platform that can be, pretty easily replicated like uh, correct me if I'm wrong but it like it doesn't seem like it's it's developed in a way where like the technology can't be you know uh, applied to like a different protocol and it it could run uh sort of the same or or even better so um yeah talk a little bit about why you're you're bullish on on frontech
2: no, I know. Um, I sorry before you start, I gotta know what's your what's your uh, what's your uh key price? How, key what, price. What's your stats? <laughs> how many how many key holders are there? <laughs> Let me check. I gotta check it right now, bro. dude. I got I got, I got like I got kicked out of that app, and it, I have to log in with my phone number. I think uh, I don't know what's up. Oh, you
0: gotta fix your yeah, dude. I'm at two point <laughs> five e. It's so like four <laughs> You, you gotta be one of the, yeah. the the top dudes there right yeah yeah i'm like top, i'm like top 20 um and i think i have like 100 and yeah, 182 holders mm. so yeah yeah i i didn't think bro i didn't think i was gonna be at the top when i i made this yeah. thing i thought the idea was cool but <laughs> i didn't think i was gonna be like at the top <laughs> which is cool um but yeah so i i think Brent is cool to me because I've always liked the idea around social tokens um, and the creator economy. Um, just like, I don't think right now there exists something that allows people to bet on individuals directly in a way that they bet on companies. And in the past few years, we've seen like the influence of these personas or individuals online is just as strong, if not as strong as a lot of these big companies, like the Fortune, what, Fortune 500. Um, and that's really crazy to see happen um, as everybody gets more online and more like invested in these social media platforms. Um, but it's different like than just buying whatever, Twitter stock, Facebook stock, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way for people to bet on that. So that's like the zero to one step. I think whoever can do the social tokens thing the right way that's going to be equivalent to these other social medias long-term if they do it correctly. Um, I just think that's a really cool idea for people to be able to do. Um, And then frentex specifically, I think it's interesting for crypto. I think there's kind of like three ways I look at it. It's like one is people who have high value as their social capital in crypto. So people like Kobe, people like CL who like, are very well respected in the industry. People love them, like they're proving themselves time and time over. Um, Just being able to invest in their network and their influence Mm -hmm. is, like I think that has value Um, and that can fluctuate and go up and down as people think that value changes. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, The second piece is like the subject matter experts. So crypto has a lot of paid groups, um, but I think even outside of crypto, you have these paid consultants for people who are experts in their industries, whether that's business, like tech, um, whatever, medical, whatever. People pay for high quality, high value information. That's a thing that happens and exists. Yeah. Um, and in fintech, you kind of see the flow of that information happen um in real time. Like one of the guys I like on fintech, his name's Pelion, um, Pelion Cap. He's like a trader, he's traded markets, I think, for like 20 plus years super smart on the options. I'm reading through his chat. I got to look up like half the stuff he's talking about when I'm reading through his answers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but people like him, it's like that, that value that he has and is giving to people that has a price on it. So mm-hmm. being able to pay like a one-time fee and now I'm like, okay, I'm a key holder. I can ask this dude questions whenever I want. That's cool and different from existing ways to do that, where it's like, if you pay for one call, like do a consult for like a thousand dollars, or you do somebody's Patreon, you do so like a subscription model. Friend Tech is different in that you invest in their network, you like mm-hmm. own their key. And then as more people think that their um, content has value, you also make money. So, which I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You get the value add as well as like the upside. Um, and then I would say the third thing is like the super fans aspect of society, which is really interesting. Um, you see people who have these really strong relationships or parasocial relationships with celebrities, whether that be musicians, artists, like athletes, like players, and they'll pay again, high price to get that proximity really close to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you see it where people will pay for like thousands of dollars for VIP tickets to concerts or for meetups or like to get assigned football, like all those things you kind of can group those together and like, okay, that's in their key price. Like say Taylor Swift is going to give all of her key holders lifetime access to all her concerts. Mm-hmm. And whenever she does events, they can come to her events or like whenever she does meetups, like they, they're allowed to come um, or like skit sign memorabilia, all that you can bake into that, like one key that you own in, the, in mm-hmm. that person's network. So that's like the three ways I kind of think about it. Um, but I do agree. it's It's going to be it's really hard to do. Like it's, it's super hard to create a new social network and then also get right. Like the fee, the bonding curve stuff, like the fees, how many people are you going to like elect to be key holders right now? I think it's kind of, it gets pretty restricted when you get close to 10 ETH. Like mm-hmm. once you, once you're paying 10 ETH for a key, you need a ton <laughs> more people to buy after you for you yeah. to like make a profit because of how the bonding curve works. Um, but they're, yeah. I think their intent was kind of to cap it around 200, 250 people. So.
1: You, yeah. you think like the the current activity on tech is like you're saying for you know the the sort of private alpha the sort of uh, paid group type thing or do you think it's more basically people speculating thinking that the if, if they put in a certain amount of money now the the value of these keys will will go up in the future
0: I think it's a lot on the airdrop um and like also the trading the keys I would say those those are probably the two strongest levers right now. You're not going to see the real amount that people want to spend in the network until that phase is over. So like once the airdrop or whatever it is, the points phase, I think is done and there's no more like, because right now people are speculating. They don't know if it's a token. They don't know if it's points in the app. They don't know how much it's going to be worth. They don't know how much it's going to cost. So in that speculative phase where there's not like a tangible value that you can put on it and people are just like guessing and speculating, that's when stuff in crypto goes up. (laughs) <laughs> goes up the most yeah. and then you kind of have like once it pulls back then you have the flat line where it's like it finds it's it's like happy medium i would say uh-huh. um but i would say it's a combination like there are definitely rooms that i'm in like where i'm i'd say i'm getting good value from where that'd be like good on-chain traders or good yeah um, like traders like it's a, it's a ton of interesting spots so,
1: so your room specifically I'm curious uh, what, what kind of uh what, what kind of alpha or, or what, what kind of commentary goes on there I mean you're you're one of the uh, I guess you, you're, you're the top of the leaderboard almost um I, I'm curious what, what, what uh discussion happens there
0: what I talk about um I really I mean I talk about basically the same things that I talk about on Twitter like talk about markets what I think on like trading stuff um i actually answer a lot of questions that people have for me so like i get a, a pretty good amount of questions every day mm-hmm. um whether it's about their bags like what i think about markets or like just random stuff on tech, um just like answering those but really it's not i mean it's not all that different from what i do on on twitter um i talk to you know Ronald, if you know rhino um he's also like a twitter twitter guy trader uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I talked to him. And we're like, we're going to do streams for people who hold either my key or his key and just do those weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, cause people like hearing us talk about markets. Um, so that's one thing where like, I guess is a value add, but, I don't want to be like go uh, no, buy my key and I'm going to give you this. Or...
1: <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I understand. So so your yeah. your day to day, you yeah. don't really curate anything, right? Like you don't have something where you like have like a synopsis of of like your trading day, or um, it's just sort of responding to people's questions, and then you know, sort of like your Twitter, you talk about a little bit of this here, a little bit of that there, and that's about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've done like some daily recaps where like, okay, all this stuff happened in friend tech today. This is what I think when it, I look at these protocols today and like test this stuff out, did research on this. So I, I've done that. Um, but yeah, generally, it's, it's more like what I post on Twitter and some, I guess, some extra AMA, some extra information
1: uh that's interesting
0: uh yeah so let's talk a little bit
1: about twitter uh before we let you go today um <laughs> I, I feel like i feel like crypto twitter is in a kind of like weird spot where there there's just like nonsense going on at all times to a point where like there, there are some days where i, I don't really want to like read through it or i, I don't really want to <laughs> participate like One of those, i, yeah. I, I like think today. today is like a good example where like everyone is just <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like Bitboy being arrested, I saw that video like reposted like a hundred times today. And, yeah, like I, I don't, I don't give a fuck about Bitboy. <laughs> like, he, has, he has absolutely no value to me. Like he, yeah. he really has no value to, to yeah. like the crypto community as a whole. Besides, like having a large platform, but it, yeah. it, it's just, it's just stuff like that that makes me want to be like less active in in, in crypto Twitter. Dude. Like, uh, don't
2: the- don't you think part of it is just that there's so few people left. <laughs> so everybody's <laughs> like, literally awesome. anything is news if you had nothing to talk about.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm curious how you got, uh, how you got active in the crypto Twitter, um, how, how you built such a following, and then like, what, what is your take of the whole communities right now?
0: Um, yeah, dude, I got, I got my followers really from just posting trades. Like I did when I had. So I told you when like Bitcoin was at nine k um back in whatever august september 2020 i think in august of that year i had like around one 2k followers and i think i had like four or five k towards the end of 2020 um and i had I, like i literally i've always on that twitter it was my college twitter so like i always like there's just tweet random stuff um like what i'm doing like when i would go out i would tweet and then like when i'm doing crypto stuff i would tweet I'll tweet charts i'll tweet trades and i always was doing that like 2017 2018 but i didn't have Mm -hmm. a big following it was just like whatever i was doing i was tweeting because i'm always online so whatever i was doing i was like sharing online um and then bull market happened and i was obviously more active in trading so i started posting the trades that i was taking um and i started posting trades i hit a few of them like back to back to back to back and then people were like oh this guy knows what he's talking about and i started getting more followers Um, I think when I really blew up though, was like, I had a, I had a private journal on Twitter and in my private journal, I would post all of my trades, like RR, like whatever portfolio size I was allocating to it. Um, like all my ideas in real time. And I would update it at the end of the week. Like I lost on this, I won on this, I lost on this, I won on this. And I would do monthly what I'm looking at for the month. And at first I was just doing it to have it on Twitter. So like, I can look back and see all the trades that I took. I was journaling in, in like other areas also, but it was cool to have it on Twitter and it was a private journal. So it was like lock cap to the followers. Yeah. Um, but then I posted, like somebody asked me to post something long form, like, dude, you're posting all these trades. Can you write something long form mm-hmm. and like post it? So I was like, okay, what do I post on? Somebody was like, yeah, do it on Substack. So I posted it on Substack and I shared it on the private journal. And then somebody reshared it in like public Twitter. And somebody reshared it in public and it, like, blew up. And they were, like, uh, who wrote this? And it was, like, then they pointed it to my account and I reshared it on my other account. Um, and that's when I started getting, like, a ton of followers. We're, like, who is, like, whatever, writing all this stuff. Um, and then, like, I just kind of kept going from there. Um, I was on, like, Up Only, I think, around the same time, like, late 21. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when, like, Kobe followed me. So I got a ton of followers off that. I think I went from, like... 50 60k to like that's jumped to like 80 90k um but it was really just from just from posting trades dude and then like people it's funny my later followers are like dude why are you always like drunk posting like out on the weekends i'm like bro i've been this is my same twitter that i've been tweeting on since i was in college like freshman sophomore year i haven't changed the way that i tweeted so it's just like that's all yeah i account
1: yeah, I'm actually a pretty big fan of the the long form <clears throat> format. For um, I, I think uh, I think the biggest one in the crypto space is uh, the, the Arthur Hayes blogs, where he yeah like, he, he he puts them out maybe like once a month or you know once in a while, but the, the, they're always like eloquently written and like even if I like agree or disagree with the, his takes within it, the, they're they're always like a great read. Um, I, I never understood the value of like the I'm um, not saying you do this, but like the, the value of, of people that are traders that just sort of post their trades online, but like don't give any, you know, content besides like their directional bet. And mm-hmm. like, I I don't understand from like, like a third party perspective, uh, perspective, how you can derive anything from that besides like the, the, the best thing you can do is maybe copy trade, but then you have like uh, you a, your entries probably a lot worse. And it's, it's not generally not a, a profitable strategy to do. So yeah, uh, I'm a yeah. big fan of the, like the, the, the long form content where like at least sharp people in the space that I respect um explain their, their, their thoughts in detail. So you can actually derive some um derive some information from what they're saying.
0: Yeah, Arthur's stuff is is sick. I love reading his blogs too. I the, the one thing the one cool thing about crypto is I think the access of information you have to all the smartest people it's insane. You don't really have that in other industries where I can just hit up somebody and get like their thoughts on something or they're going to mm-hmm. share it for free. Um, that happens a lot in crypto. I think the people on crypto Twitter underappreciate that a ton. Like being able yeah. to read that information you don't have that really in other industries
1: yeah in any um, any industry like the, the the information is gated in some sort of way where like like yeah. your your entry to that information like you need to pay a decent amount or you need to know right. someone that, that that knows someone stuff like that but like the, the, there's a lot of information just on crypto twitter like i, I a lot of my friends ask me like, "How do I learn about crypto?" And, and I, and I just send them some like feeds of like Twitter accounts I read. There's not like a, like a book or like like a website or you you know something more traditional that you can really read through besides because like uh, I feel like crypto is different than basically any any other industry. It Just like changes from day to day. So like if you write a book about like you know the 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 the, the last cycle the. The information and it means basically nothing today like everything changes yeah. within a few years right. um oh i feel like one of the issues people have on crypto twitter is being able to filter the uh the actual alpha for from uh, for, from people that know what they're talking about to just like the, the noise from the people that you know ha- have a large following from maybe a previous cycle I mean, maybe from you know it'd be people like bit boy, uh, your buddy, I feel like your buddy Adam Cochran uh falls <laughs> under this category. Um, in, in the last po- podcast, me and Andreas talked a little bit about how how, annoying that guy is um, just posting (laughs) like complete nonsense on Twitter. Like he, 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 he basically posts, uh, I want to say like once every hour for, for like, you know, years and years. And a lot of it's just like, he, he he's sort of eloquent in, in the, the way he explained things and it seems like he he understands crypto to some degree but like a lot of what he posts is just like complete bullshit. I I feel like he he has some insider source that that has told him that that Binance is insolvent within a month or or something yeah. like that and all, yeah. all, all all that shit is just it's just like annoying to to read and then the people uh sort of taking these uh these influencers or these thought leaders uh seriously um, I only bring that up because uh, you had an interaction with Adam where where he insulted Georgia Tech, while as uh, you know, uh, as a as a yeah. university that that isn't fit to be teaching people computer science, apparently, um, <laughs> yeah. which which I, I found like pretty hilarious, considering like what he he has like a political science degree and he's commenting on you know the the, the current state of cryptocurrency. It's the, the whole situation is just ridiculous to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. I, I yeah, bro. I, I feel like people are starting to come at me more recently. And I don't really understand why or where it's really even coming from. Um, like one thing that happened, so like I was in support of one of my guys, like one of my friends' project, and it ended up getting hacked. Um, and then from that, they're like, oh, this dude Z is a scammer, like he's like, whatever, doing this, 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 and this. Um, and I understand the blowback from that to some extent, but it's like, there's so many products, projects in crypto who go through that, like those issues. Um, and like, for you to be like, oh, this dude is a, is a fucking idiot because like something he talks about got hacked. I was like, who, like, who are you to just call me that and come at me? Um, so I was like, how that, that happened. But it's, it's interesting. Like, none of this happened when I had 5K followers. I could talk about yeah. whatever I wanted nonstop all day and people would, like, not care. But now it's like, I have 100K followers. And it's like, well, now, like, I get attention from talking about Z. Like, they know if I am say something about Z, they're going to get engagement on Twitter. And you also get paid for that engagement now. So it's like, there's a ton of people who are just like, oh, I'm going to go out with all these big accounts. I'm going to be that guy who's, like, feeding off this. Um, and just, like, that's their thing on Twitter. So I don't know, bro. Crypto, crypto Twitter is weird. I try to stay out of it for the most part and just stay in my lane. But it's, I don't know, dude, it's weird.
1: Okay. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny how how much hate people get for certain things um, that are sort of trivial. Like like for example, I, I see traders that I, I consider like pretty good traders, um, and but this is true for literally every trader. Like every trader will have a losing trade, like hundred percent. You right. could be the best trader in the world, you, you can have a losing trade. But if you yeah. publish all your trades on on Twitter, there's always going to be this one dude that's like, "Oh, you you're shilling this coin at this price, and it's down like seventy percent. You're you're <laughs> a fraud," shit like that. Which like, you, you know, I, uh, I mean, in a vacuum, it's it's true. But like, in the greater body of things, like everyone has invested in. So, like, I feel like the the most successful people in crypto, that the people that started with nothing, that 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 have made like six yeah. seven figures, they've all had some investment where they've lost like a hundred percent. Like a hundred percent of them have had something that that did not go well for them. And it's like all part of the part of the process. Like it's going back to like the whole like a poker thing where like the the, the reason i think the poker is a good precursor uh for, for trading for crypto is in poker you could be the best player in the world but uh, like you're losing maybe 30 40 percent of the time just because of like yeah. the,
0: the day-to-day yeah. variance it's i think the reason it works is because these people are not actually traders or poker players so they don't understand that you are taking thousands of trades you may lose 30 40 percent of them and you're still net profitable by a like a fuck ton if you hit big in a lot of these spots. And you don't don't even have to have a super high hit rate as long as you're managing your risk well. But these people don't have that concept in their heads because they're not actually trading or like doing these things where you're in these risk environments and been making these bets. So it's like when you can point to somebody and say, oh, this is down 90%, it's like, oh, this person may not, just doesn't know what they're talking about. When it's really like, I may have been out of that trade two weeks after I posted that. Or like three weeks after I posted that. Like I have parameters where it's like oh, i gotta get out if this happens and you don't you can't really convey all of that in short form on twitter or even long form like really you can't be like oh i wrote this but then something happened and i changed my mind and now it's like i gotta go back and i'm not gonna go back and edit the document and be like well now i'm not in this like you know what i'm saying so the, yeah. the trade lives forever once you post something
2: yeah and i
0: learned <laughs> that like once you post something it's there yeah, it doesn't uh, really matter what you do after.
1: I, I feel like there, there's something to be said about the people that um, that don't delete their tweets. Like, I, I feel like there are quite a few people that are, you know, they, they might have a paid group. They have some, like, following. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. they, they have some successful trades, some not successful, and then they, they, they attempt to erase their, their not successful ones, or maybe they don't even post their not successful ones. So then, like, the, the public only gets, like, a, a glimpse of what they're really doing and if if you only present good information to them that that like in obviously hindsight is 2020 but if if you only present good information to them if you post like 10 winning trades in a row and you don't post any of your losing trades like it it may seem like you're the best trader in the world whereas like you might have had like 12 losing trades in the same time frame that you just don't want to make public
0: exactly and that's that's a that's a big issue for why people outside of crypto have the perception of crypto that they do because people like BitBoy and others um, like on crypto YouTube, they'll share all of this information, but they'll present it as I won on all of these trades and I never took any losses. And even the people who watched their previous videos In their head it's like if somebody's telling me this and they have a ton of followers like they have a million subscribers they must be telling me the truth and then they like assign this value of truth to these people who are big online and they never share any of their losses and then these people just keep getting more following and it's like the people who are more like objective and sharing their losses like oh no i I lost on this i lost on this i only won 50 percent of my trades this month yeah those are the people you should be trusting but for the average person they don't see that like they don't have the ability to differentiate between who is like being honest with them and who is scamming them like it's it's really it's a difficult thing like crypto twitter versus crypto youtube i think is a really interesting dichotomy actually um, yeah,
1: I'm. I'm not a fan of crypto YouTube as a whole. But besides, yeah. besides our podcast, uh, and and, and, <laughs> and I, I, I guess I, I guess I, I like up only when when they head up only. I'm good friends Ooh, with Kobe yeah. and Ledger. That they're they're good people. We, we had we had Ledger on the podcast uh, like a few months ago. So, uh, but other oh, than cool. that, like I feel like most of the content is like e- either you know shilling some nonsense or um, it just not really that good.
0: Yeah, I I have like thought about it a lot. I don't. There has to be a way that you can hit that same. It's like sales. It's like a hit that same sales funnel where you can get to a million plus subscribers, but you're also not scamming people, and you're also not like you're being honest with the information that you're sharing. Like obviously, Kobe and Ledger did a great job of that, but up only. But mm-hmm. I think we need more content like that in crypto. Um, definitely, hundred percent.
2: Maybe uh, maybe you should start it because <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I mean know, Kobe ledger show that was uh that was a great show but it didn't have that many, there, there were not that many people watching it it was very niche I I loved it uh up only oh yeah. yeah considering how big they are in crypto Twitter it's on YouTube it wasn't that big yeah um, I mean, and it, it's, like, it's like you say I, w- I wish I wish there were real shows that like I would watch that is not somebody yeah. shouting at me to to buy something <laughs> that is obviously a scam and and yeah. and like uh, uh drawing lines and charts to the point where they become memes right mm. so yeah. have you guys seen the um i mean i don't
0: know maybe i should have you guys seen the uh the show where it's like a new show. It's like a, a game show where like they're gonna pick the crypto project. Did you see that? The I, I saw that.
1: It, it's it's like it's like it's run by what's it? It's run by like CoinMarketCap yeah. or something like that. Shark, uh, Shark Tank, yeah, yeah. It, it's like a Shark Tank thing. It it had like um, uh, it, it had that. Pol- I forgot his name now. Uh, the the older guy, the politician who uh likes crypto. That like Wendy O or, or something. like
0: yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, dude, like hot like those all those shows get a ton of funding, but we need we need shows like kind of like not like that, but something along those lines where it's kind of more entertainment based, but also has the like knowledge that like general information that's solid. I just have no idea how to do it. I, I don't even have a like a YouTube I have Twitch. But I do think there's a lane for that to happen in crypto. I just don't know what. I,
1: I actually be. had that exact idea in 2017 during the uh, ICO boom. Like I was talking to some <laughs> people about this, but but I, I was thinking we could have a shitcoin shark tank where you would just have yeah. like, like three or four I because like during that time, like the ICO boom, there was probably like hundreds of ICOs launching every month, you know? So, so you'd have like a, you'd have like a weekly show where like two or three ICOs, it, it, Pitch you their their token, and then yeah. y- you you mostly turn them down and tell them it's going to zero. But there might be you know, <laughs> there might be something in there that that's like sort of investable. But uh, I guess I was lazy at the time, and and nothing really took
0: off. <laughs> yeah, no, that could be a cool idea. I don't know, man. Some I feel like somebody's gonna figure it out. We have to, especially especially if we get like prices that start going up, people are gonna be like, oh, we can find yeah, yeah. something cool now. <laughs> cool now. It's not depressing anymore
1: all right i think that's all we have for uh today uh Andreas, you have anything else nope uh before we let you go today uh you want to let the listeners and watchers know where to find you uh maybe your twitter or front tech your Substack. stack yeah um, my friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we'll, uh,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah we'll, we'll link to the we'll link to the front i don't worry about that we'll get you some more uh, <laughs> oh. we'll get you some elite key holders <laughs> let's
0: go um yeah my, my twitter is um blk n o i z o six and then my other twitter like my trading one is um c o n z i m p and um yeah i'm always on twitter so that's probably the best best place to reach out and, and hit me
2: and uh yeah i do have a question uh what are uh what are some guests you think we should have on the show somebody you uh somebody you know somebody you don't know like somebody you respect
0: um i think you guys should try i think l would be cool i don't know if you know l He's like, he's kind of a smaller account. Um, he's an on-chain trader. Um, he's pretty solid. Oh, that interesting. be he's interesting. like been, mm-hmm. yeah, he's been like blowing up a a, a ton of good bit. He's had some good calls in the past past few months. Um, he reminds me actually of my account. Like when I was I was smaller, he was calling out like different narratives and like during the summer he was like calling out stuff. Um, kind of did a good job rotating capital. He's actually on on Frentech too. I think he's oh, like cool. three point three point something. Um, what about what, oh, about, wow. uh, what yeah. about
2: somebody? Uh, what about somebody building a project uh, you like on Solana?
0: Um, the Gito guys are really cool. The Margin Five guys are really cool. Gito is like, I mean, what's Bro's name? Uh, Buffalo on Twitter. Um, he's super smart dude. He's their Gito is focusing on MEV infra for Solana, mm-hmm. and they also have a liquid staking, um, token. And then not token liquid staking platform. Um, and then MarginFi guys are like a lending borrowing um, platform. Yeah, and they're I, pretty active I, I, I've, I've
1: used. Uh, I, I like MarginFi. Maybe I'll hit they're them up cool. and, and see if they want to come on and chat about it.
0: Yeah, 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 They definitely would be down. Those guys are. I like them because they're also like kind of more aggro on, on Solana Twitter. Like they they talk <laughs> shit to the the eat guys back. Um, <laughs> so I, I like them. Um, but yeah, they're cool. All right, cool. Well, uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for
1: coming
2: on. Yeah, thanks, man.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was fun.